Welcome to the podcast of the Vine Church in Fullerton, California. For more information, visit thevineoc.com. Hey, good morning again. Hope you're doing well. Uh, before we get to the message, I wanted to mention that last Sunday, if you weren't here with us, was an especially important Sunday for us as a church. And so if you call the Vine home, I really encourage you to listen online, both to the message, but also there was an annual meeting after that where we shared some very significant updates and we're just so excited for what God's doing among us. But I encourage you to listen online if you weren't there. And one of the things I shared last Sunday is that we've just added a couple amazing people to our pastoral team. Yeah. Dennis and Carrie Cruz. Yeah. <laughs> we are just so excited. And if you're part of this church, you know and love Dennis and Carrie. But we're just so excited to have them serving in a deeper way among us and for all that God has in store. And so in light of that, I've invited them uh, to share. And so I don't know how they figured this out, if it was rock, paper, scissors or what. But, but Dennis, we're going to be hearing. We have, we're going to be so blessed. We're going to be hearing from Dennis uh, this morning. So please join me in welcoming up one of our new pastors, Dennis Cruz. <laughs> Can I pray for you, brother? Please. (laughs) (laughs) Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for you. We thank you for your word. And we pray that through it now, Lord, that you would speak to us. Would your word come alive in a fresh way? God, would you give us open, receptive hearts to all that you want to say? and do this morning. And, and we pray for our brother Dennis. We thank you for him. We thank you for, for the call upon his life. We thank you for blessing us with him and with Carrie, God. But we pray for Dennis. So you just bless him and that you would just, Lord, would you anoint him afresh with your Holy Spirit? And would you just give him your words, your thoughts, your heart right now? God, bless him and speak through him, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Ready? Okay, good. good morning. I want to thank Michael, I think, for giving me this opportunity to preach. So. <laughs> As I'm standing here, I usually have my wife, Carrie, sharing with me. And after today's sermon, you may wish Carrie was still standing with me sharing. (laughs) Yep, I get it. So I am now, according to Michael, a seasoned two-week part of this pastoral staff. Two weeks. I want to share a story that I hope encourages you because I believe I was called and selected to work at the Vine. Many of you know, if you're in Practicing the Way of Jesus groups, that I was an educator for almost 40 years. I was a teacher, a principal, and in my career as an executive director in the district office. When I retired, I had a a very nice contract to be a part-time consultant to help struggling principals and new principals. After that contract ended last September, I had my resume in hand online and was searching for a new part-time job, but nothing seemed to pan out. One day, when I was praying, I felt like God said very, very clearly that I would get a job sometime in January and don't worry. I wrote the word in my journal so I wouldn't forget, shared it with Carrie, and moved on with my life. No jobs appeared, and quite honestly, I was getting a bit worried. On Tuesday morning, January 28th, Michael and Ansley, our pastors, invited us to their house to share something. This was unusual, so Carrie and I were guessing what the news was. (laughs) Was Ansley pregnant? I don't know. Uh, uh, As you can imagine, our minds went to very good and very bad scenarios. (laughs) Surprisingly, the meeting was to offer us the role to be part of the pastoral staff. After I lifted my chin off the floor, we chose to pray and fast 
and let them know our decision by the end of the week. On January 30th, we accepted the position. God said I would have a job in January. Not the one I imagined. But he provided for me the one to fulfill. Because of the events that happened, God's word, prayer, fasting, and a bunch of other things, I believe I was called to this position. But I'm not the only one that's called. I know that I know that I know that if you're a follower of Jesus or you want to become a follower of Jesus, you are called. In Ephesians 4.1, it says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Hebrews 3 says, therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. And in 2 Peter 1, it says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. Now is the time to discover his will to advance the kingdom of God here on earth. The question is, and it's for me too, are we ready to follow God's call for our lives? In Romans 8.14, it says, for all those who are led by God's spirit, these are God's sons. One of the greatest gifts God offers us is the privilege to be led by the Holy Spirit, by the Spirit of God. As children of God, we can expect to be led by the Holy Spirit, which will provide us with the wisdom of God to make the right decisions. Our ability to tap into our calling is much easier when we make our decisions based on the leading and the guiding of the Holy Spirit. Pastor Michael shared at Ash Wednesday this last week service that our main calling during Lent is to return to the heart of Jesus. That's the big calling. We are to return to him wholeheartedly. That's our main call. If we get that, then all of the things will fall into place. That is our lifetime call. In addition to following Jesus with your whole heart, you may be aware of another call on your life right now. Or you may not know what the deeper call is yet. But God may be calling you to something more, and only you and God together can uncover what he has in store for you. I told you I was an educator, and therefore I know many teachers. Some teachers look at teaching as their job, and that's good. Others describe teaching as their career, and that's great. Carrie and I were public educators for many years. Even though some people thought of teaching as a job or career, Carrie and I knew that we were to share the love of Jesus in our classrooms and with the parents. That was one of our callings. We prayed for our students and their parents and tried as best as we could to have a purposeful life in education worthy of God's calling. When we moved to our current home, we invited some people to bless and pray for us, pray for our home and our new community. Someone had a word that we were supposed to be a lighthouse in our neighborhood, but it wasn't the lighthouse I pictured. It wasn't the New England lighthouse that goes over there and looks for people that are in the darkness. The lighthouse was in reference to being light, not heavy. We believe that our calling was on our block was to be light and airy, full of life and fun to be around. 
We have had many victories and failures, but for 20 years, we have tried to live out that calling with purposeful intention. And by living in that calling, God continues to show up today. All of us here are unique individuals, and we are all on different journeys. God has different calls on our lives and speaks to us in different ways with different timing for each of us. Some of you right here may know what your calling is and may be currently in the midst of victories and maybe in the midst of trials. Some of you may have a sense of what your calling is, but at this moment don't know the depth of your call, haven't figured out the specific details yet, or not quite sure what to do to embrace your call. At this time, some of you may not know what your specific calling is, and you may need more time with the Lord to uncover that unique thing that you are called to do. Wherever you are in the process, process, it's all good. So if we're followers of Jesus, what should we do concerning our calling? Let's look at some examples. In Luke 4.1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. We know that Jesus just didn't go to the desert on a whim, but that he was led there by the Holy Spirit. He fasted for 40 days, and like other times during his life, he spent time communing with the Father in prayer. This time was especially important because it took place before he was to begin his ministry, his massive calling to bring salvation to people till the end of time. In Nehemiah 1, 3, it says, and this is Nehemiah speaking, they said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah is one of Israel's great leaders, recognizes his call to rebuild Jerusalem's walls after the exile. This rebuilding, in the face of great odds, represented the people's renewal of faith, overcoming their national shame, and reforming their conduct. Nehemiah, like Jesus, fasts and prays. He also mourns. If we are followers of Jesus, and we, or want to be followers of Jesus, and we believe that we are called, what are we supposed to do? it looks like we're supposed to fast and pray. Jesus and Nehemiah fast and pray in order to get ready for their massive endeavors. They want to be prepared for what's coming. Whether you know the calling God has placed on your life or you're starting afresh and you're not exactly sure what's next, I suggest you fast and pray. A few weeks ago, Michael preached on discipleship essentials on how to pray. If you weren't there, I suggest that you go online and hear Michael's message to get a deeper understanding of how to pray. But prayer really is just a conversation with God. We are to come to God, to the God of the universe, with boldness and confidence. Prayer is communing with the living God. Talking, listening, receiving, asking, waiting, yielding, rejoicing. During this Lenten season, I want to offer up a couple of practices that we learned from practicing the way of Jesus groups that might be helpful in your prayer life. Everyone is uniquely made, so one of these suggestions may or may not be helpful to you. So one during this Lenten season is, pray the Lord's Prayer each day during Lent. If the Lord's Prayer provides a summary of life that we've been created for, 
praying this prayer for ourselves and for one another can be a powerful way to train and express our desires for life in the kingdom of love. Every day, pray for yourself and for another person. You may choose to personalize the words to fit your situation or another person's situation. For example, God, you are my true parent. Help me embrace your calling, learning to be aware of your presence in this day. Also in practicing the way of Jesus groups, a little hint. So <laughs> you might want to select a repetitive activity that you already do throughout the day. You wash your hands, you drink water, you eat snacks, you walk through a doorway. During Lent, choose a simple sentence to pray every time you engage in this activity. For example, every time you wash your hands, you could say something, you choose the words, wash my hands today, I pray, Jesus, thank you for cleansing my heart. Make me like you, Jesus. Imagine doing that every day, 10 times a day, through Lent. See what God does. Or let living water flow out of me today. Every t- or you t- say, that doesn't work for me. Well, every time you take a drink of water, pray, my real thirst is for more of your presence, Jesus. You're my living water. Just do it every time. Or every time you eat a snack or a meal, pray, my true hunger is for your presence. Your word is sweet to me. Every time you sit or stand, depending on your job or your lifestyle, pray, Father God, you know when I sit and when I rise. You know my every thought and my way. And that's from Psalm 139. These shorter prayers, hopefully, will lead you to regular, longer, extended periods of prayer. And your calling will become clearer and God's kingdom will be extended. I love, love, love this quote, and Carrie just shared it with me a couple days ago. I love what E.M. Bounds says about prayer. Prayers outlive the lives that uttered them. Outlive a generation. Outlive an age. Outlive a world. I love that. So prayer is something that God wants. In addition to prayer, Jesus and Nehemiah fasted. One way of looking at fasting is saying, it could be different for you, saying, I need you, Lord. I want you. I long for you. You're my treasure. I want more of you. Come, Lord Jesus. As Suzanne Niles and Wendy Simpson write, when we fast and pray, we're taking time away from a meal or an activity to vote our entire being to focus on God. We find we are more sensitive to the voice of God, more attuned to hearing what he has to reveal to us. Because fasting for all of us can be deeply personal, no one size fits all fasting rules here. During this Lenten season, you may fast every Wednesday and pray. That hurdle may be too high for you, so you may fast Wednesday lunches and pray. I don't know. You may choose to fast from screens, devices for 30 minutes every night and pray. Let God lead you as you choose to fast and pray. Hopefully, the body of Christ, we can move to a regular practice of fasting and prayer. Just to review, because I'm going to transition. See how smart I'm going to get there? So as a follower of Jesus, or want to be a follower of Jesus, we are all called. In preparation to walk out our calling, we must fast and pray. As I was preparing for today's message, I have to say, this was the most chaotic, one of the most chaotic, stressful weeks I've had in years and years. Mm-hmm. 
It was, I'll put it in this way, stinking hard. Are you surprised? I'm not, but I don't like it. <laughs> I know that I'm called. I prayed and fasted. Guess what? The enemy doesn't like it. In fact, the devil will do everything in his power to thwart the work of God. Jesus is God and was fully human, and the devil tried to mess with him in the wilderness. However, we know that God was victorious. He overcame and continues to overcome today. Before I was to share today, I kept praying, and in two days in a row, this word kept coming to me. It was chaos. And I wrote nine pages in my journal about chaos in the world. Yes, you are called, and unfortunately, the enemy will do everything in his power to create chaos. However, we know our God reigns, and with God's love and support, we can overcome. So when I'm talking about chaos, I was looking over the past 20th, this 20th century, because we're in the 21st, the light bulb was an invention, maybe one of the greatest inventions of all time. However, the light bulb may create chaos in your life, in some of our lives. Instead of resting and settling down for the night and entering into God's peace and rest, people in America work all hours of the night, binge watch, and do countless amounts of chores. It wasn't supposed to turn out this way. John Maynard Keynes, one of the founders of modern economics, made a famous prediction by 2030, we're in 2020 already, but 2030, advanced societies would be wealthy enough that leisure time, rather than work, would characterize national lifestyles. So far, that forecast is not looking so good. With the advent of modern inventions, we thought we'd have more time. However, and I did some research, Americans have less time than they did in the 12th and 13th centuries. Now, centuries later, the norm is to work long and hard, and you're admired for that. What a great quality. So hard that we don't take time to rest and be in God's presence. Chaos, chaos, chaos. The enemy wants to create chaos in our lives so we do not come to the heart of Jesus and live out the calling he has placed on our lives. In his book, Tyranny of Time, Robert Banks explains that those who are always on the run never meet anyone anymore, not even themselves, noting that in the end, spirituality is subverted and we lose the capacity to enjoy the present and know who we are. Nehemiah's book in the Bible is amazing, and I encourage all of you to read it. It's 13 chapters. For our purposes today, I want to highlight Nehemiah's calling, how the enemy tried to create chaos, and how Nehemiah completed his mission with the help of God. So I've broken Nehemiah into four, his story into four parts. His starting his call, halfway through the call, completing the call, and afterwards. So in Nehemiah 2, it's 8, it says, 8b, it says, And because the gracious hand of God was on me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letter. The king had also sent army officers and the cavalry with me. When Sanballat and the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come 
to promote the welfare of the Israelites. What an interesting passage. The king gives Nehemiah his blessing, his trust him, and sends him with all the necessary documentation, army officers, and the cavalry. I always want to say cavalry. I don't know why. Before he starts his journey, I'm going to reiterate, he has the king's favor and blessing. The king gives him everything he needs. You would think it's a done deal, a slam dunk, but the enemy has a different plan. As soon as his attention is announced, Sanballat and Tobiah are mad. The enemy is angered because God's plan is put into motion. As you will see, the enemy will try to create chaos in the plans of God. Whenever you, us, we discover our, your calling and have God's favor, the enemy will try to create chaos in your life. So let's fast forward to the halfway mark. The people work hard and the wall is half its height. So if you think of the wall of Jerusalem, half, that's great progress. Do you think the enemy will just sit there? Let's read and see what happens next. So let's turn to Nehemiah 4, 6. So we rebuilt the wall till it reached half of its height. For the people worked with all their heart. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, and the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard the repairs to Jerusalem's wall had gone ahead, and the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together, which is unusual, so those different groups plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Whether we like it or not, sometimes in our life, chaos is thrown right at us. Don't be surprised when you're fulfilling your calling the enemy will gear up and try to stop what God is doing. In 1 Peter 4, 7, those that were there, remember this one? It says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and self-controlled so you can pray. So you got to be aware there's chaos. Halfway through our mission, we can't give up. We have to pay attention and we can't get distracted. We can't cannot succumb to chaos. We need to pay attention, be alert, and pray so that God's purposes can be fulfilled. Let's fast forward one more time. The walls are completed. They're all done. And there's not a gap in the wall. So guess what happens? Yep. Sanballat, Tobiah, Jessam, and the rest of the enemies are mad. Sanballat sends this mess, the following message five times. Now, in your life, the enemy is angry, sneaky, and relentless. Let's see what happens next. So let's, Nehemiah 6. And this is Nehemiah's, uh, this is um, them sending the letter, in which was written. It is reported among the nations, and Geshem, who you can totally trust, <laughs> says that it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt. And therefore, you're building a wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You're just making it up out of your head. <laughs> I love it. 
<laughs> the enemy is making up lies and, and Nehemiah speaks the truth and doesn't succumb to their craziness. So if you got bombarded five times from someone at work or something, five times in a letter and this and a message, come meet me and do all this, Nehemiah just speaks the truth. The project is completed. The wall is built. There should be relief and jubilant joy, but the enemy is still at work. Sometimes the enemy tries to trick us into chaos, and we need to stand firm and not succumb to his treachery. In James 4, 7, it says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So we have all of God's power with us. We can just resist it and go on. After the wall is completed, now we're ending the story, Ezra reads from the book of the law of Moses that God commanded. He reads from daybreak till noon. In addition, all the people fasted and confessed their sins to God. The people, I thought the people of God were in a pretty great place. The wall is completed. They read the word or had heard the word. They fasted, confessed their sins. Pretty amazing. Except for one thing. Let's read. So Nehemiah 13. Before this, Eliashib, the priest, had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of God. So here's the priest in charge of the storerooms. He was closely associated with Tobiah. So the enemy who's trying to destroy the wall, who makes up all these lies, who tries to get them, who um, connives to work with all the other people, is with Tobiah. I mean, is with um, Eliashib. He was closely associated with Tobiah, and he provided him with a large room formerly used to store grain offerings and incense and temple articles in the house of God, where you're supposed to store his items, the grain offerings and incense. He lets Tobiah come in and store his junk. The enemy. Eliashib is in league with the enemy. He invites this traitor into the house of God. It's ridiculous. However, sometimes we open the door purposely and invite chaos into our lives. It's crazy. If you know that you're called, the enemy will stop you, try to stop you somehow, some way. Are you intentional about your calling? If you aren't intentional, chaos and confusion will come quickly to keep you from knowing and entering your calling. Know your mission, your calling, because the devil will try to stop you. There is an enemy who tries to thwart us, but our God is mightier. Hallelujah. Can I hear a hallelujah? Hallelujah. Amen. I love it. Stepping out of chaos is intentional. You and I can get sucked in. We live in America, for heaven's sakes. We can get sucked into chaos, but we need to intentionally walk out. With God's leading, times of peace and stillness, fasting and prayer are the ways to counter chaos in the world in our lives. Have you ever had, outside your office or home, a drilling or jackhammer buzzing outside of you for a long period of time, maybe hours, maybe days? Soon you get used to the sound, but not really. But once it stops, your body involuntarily goes, rest. Have you ever had that? It just rests and you're no longer tense. We do not want to live in chaos. We need to stop living in chaos in order to calm our bodies and our spirits. We need to have that sigh. 
We must wait, listen, and see where the chaos is in our lives. Where are those jackhammers and those drillings in your life? Where does your chaos come from? I don't know. Work, the drive home on the freeway, news, overbooked activities, I have no idea. I want to share a personal story how chaos became part of our Christmas tradition and how prayer, intentionality, bravery, and humility countered the cruise's chaotic Christmas. <laughs> when our, we, at the time, we only had two kids. Our son, Stephen, was five, and our daughter, Elise, was three. And every other year, we'd go to Carrie's house for Christmas or mine. It was our turn to go to our families. So during those times at Christmas, Carrie and I value saying thank you, being appreciative of gifts, showing gratitude. That's a value of ours. So Stephen, our son, and Elise were the only grandkids on both sides, and both our my dad was in their 70s. So you can imagine they got a lot of stuff. <laughs> We didn't care about the lot of stuff, but during the opening of gifts, it was a frenzy free-for-all. So there were people who were opening it. We didn't know who it came from. Was there a gift card in the trash? I didn't know. And at the end, there was just mounds of paper, scotch tape, junk. Merry Christmas! You know, it was just, it wasn't good. It was chaos. If you saw it in a movie, that would be the word chaos. They go, what well, chaos? Cruise chaotic Christmas, so uh, it would be that. So Carrie and I had a conversation, and we, it was our turn to go to the Cruise's house for Christmas, and we said, we don't want to live that anymore because it's too much chaos. The world says, be greedy. The world says, have more things. The world says, have this, blah, 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 blah. And we said, no, we don't want that. That's too much chaos for our lives. And we want our kids to be grateful and appreciative and understand that and really understand who Jesus is during Christmas. So I had to... Carrie and I prayed. We talked about it and prayed. And I had to talk to my mother. And <laughs> oh, why do I fold my hands? <laughs> Sometimes when you talk to your mom, you're reduced to the age of 10. <laughs> I'm just saying. So I had to tell her, that's not what we want, this chaos. We'd rather have everyone open one gift at a time. Our kids say, thank you, go over, say thank you to the adult, maybe give them a hug, know what they got from whom, and just be grateful. So I had to tell my mom. And then my mom said, that's what I always wanted. Well, why didn't you tell me? So, so I had to be intentional with my mom. I had to recognize what chaos was, and there was chaos. Be intentional. I had to be bold, and I had to have humility to counter the chaos in the world. I'm telling you, without stopping the enemy, the world consistently bombards us with chaos. We need God to come consistently. We need to practice the way of Jesus. I want to invite the band to come up. Before, um, I was praying, and I actually saw a picture of people in chaos, and there was an actual doorway, and then people actually stepped out, in, out of chaos into the pasture of plenty, into God's peace. And so that's the picture I have for this church, but it has to be intentional. So we, I hope we can all step into God's peace. In Proverbs, I love this, 2130, it says, there is no wisdom 
no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. If you are called, if you are, have a purpose for your life, nothing can stop because God has you underneath and with him. By the way, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you would like to become one, during communion, our prayer team, amazing, over to the side, would consider it their utmost pleasure and privilege to pray with you so you can become a follower of Jesus. So we invite you if you're not. In closing, I want to say that if you're a follower of Jesus or want to become a follower of Jesus, that you are called. So pray and fast. The enemy will try to throw you into chaos, so be alert and pray. With the God of the universe at our side, we can overcome and fulfill our calling. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you have everything under control. I pray that during this Lenten season, Lord, that you would urge our hearts, fill our hearts with a desire to know you more and more. I just pray that today we would take a step forward to what you want us to do in our calling. Bless this time in Lent to be with each of us. And Lord, as we're opening ourselves up, Lord, please show up and call us. So I pray right now in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you would come. And during this time before communion, Lord, you would come. Because we come to your table with anticipation to come to your meal. So we ask that you would come. Thank you, God, that you're here, that you love each and every one of us, and you'll walk beside us. In your name we pray. Amen.